You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. This morning, if you uh, have your Bibles with you, we are in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Of course, it's Palm Sunday, hard to miss that. And as Christians, we, we love this day. It's uh, an amazing day. This whole season of Easter, resurrection, is exciting for us. We celebrate our Lord and what He did, how He defeated death, rose again. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He goes up to the Mount of Olives, down the Mount of Olives, into the valley. It's called the Keen Road Valley, and up into Jerusalem. It's an amazing time. Josephus, the historian, tells us that the population at that time swelled to about 2 million people. If you were here during the time of the Olympics and after Canada won that gold medal in hockey, and then that night we had the closing celebrations, remember how our city, downtown, the population just swelled, the bridges were closed, and it was just people everywhere, and it was a lot of excitement, and a lot of red was out there. If you were part of that, that's what they were experiencing that day in Jerusalem. It was that kind of an atmosphere, it was that crowded, and it was very similar to that when Jesus came into Jerusalem and was on a donkey, and there was this great celebration going on, very similar to that. Of course, during the Olympics, we had all kinds of people who were making money off of it. They were selling this and selling that, and as the Lord came into Jerusalem during that week of Passover, there was a lot of people, and they were selling this and selling that and making money off it. They were in the crowd. The business, entrepreneur, person was there in the crowd. And also in the crowd were The Pharisees, these were the religious people, and they had a problem with Jesus. At one point, they told Jesus when he was walking or riding the donkey, and the disciples were walking with him, and people were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, and shouting to the king. Uh, In your notes, I have there Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And the religious people said, hey, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up, tell them to be quiet. They were upset that Jesus had this much attention. They were concerned about their position, their authority, their influence. So they were in the crowd. That day also in the crowd was the Roman soldiers. During our Olympics, remember we had police on every corner and they were watching, make sure there wasn't a terrorist and there was no uprising. They were busy. Well, Roman soldiers were busy during this time. As much as we had police officers here and there, there were Roman soldiers everywhere. And they were watching. They really weren't into the parade. They weren't celebrating the Passover. They were just there doing their duty, hoping that there would be no uprising. So they were there that day. And also in the crowd were those loyal followers of Christ. It wasn't too long ago, just a few days before this, that Jesus had talked to Zacchaeus. He'd healed blind Bartimaeus. They were probably there in the crowd and cheering and shouting Hosanna. Maybe Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, these people we read about in the Bible, they would have been there. Of course, the disciples were there. And they had an idea of what all meant, but just a vague idea. They were still thinking Jesus would set up an earthly kingdom. We see that really reflected when... Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter pulls out his sword. He carried a sword with him. He would have had it there, likely, when Jesus was walking into Jerusalem. He takes out his sword, and he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. So they were still thinking about earthly kingdom, not heavenly kingdom. A lot of different players were in that scene that day. And then, of course, Christ. 
He's there. He's thinking about what's to come. He's thinking about the cross. He's thinking about his death. He's thinking about beyond that, beyond the grave. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That verse is there, Hebrews 12, verse 2 in your notes. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was before him? The joy that was before him was you and I, that our lives would be changed as we accepted Christ into our life. The joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went the second mile for you and I. He talked about the second mile, and he was the ultimate example of somebody who goes a second mile. Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 8 reads this way. And if you have your pen, circle the word attitude, your attitude. Because the second mile, as we get into the message this morning, is all about attitude. Somebody once said, your attitude determines your altitude. There's a lot of truth to that statement. So if you like, circle the word attitude. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. There's a period there. It's good. It's a great sentence. Your attitude be the same as Christ. Well, what is his attitude? That would be the obvious question. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. To go the second mile, you can't cling to your rights. You won't go the second mile if you claim, well, it's my right, I did my job, I don't have to do any more, it's my rights. If you cling to your rights, you won't go the second mile. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. Watch this last part of the verse closely. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. So the outset of this message, I need to say, Above everybody else, Jesus really went the second mile for you and I. So if we're to have the same attitude that he had, then obviously we need to go the second mile. What does it mean to go the second mile? Let's unpack that. Jesus taught about the second mile in the Sermon on the Mount. And that classic verse that's quoted by a lot of people, it's a saying in the world today, go the second mile. It comes from this Sermon on the Mount. It was really... Uh, spoken to the church. Someone said the Sermon on the Mount was spoken to the church, but the world overheard it. Matthew 5, 41 says this, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with them too. Jesus was talking to a bunch of people there on the seaside of Galilee. If you go there today, they'll take you to the place where he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And as he spoke to the crowds, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people there, these people had lived under the oppression of the Roman soldiers. That's not a lot of fun. They weren't the nicest people to live under. And they could come along, no matter where you were, and they could pull you and say, you know what? I know you got your friends. I know you're doing business, whatever it is, but you have to come with me, and you have to carry my gear, my backpack, whatever he was carrying. Simon of Serene, he was recruited to carry the cross that Jesus had, and the Roman soldiers said, hey, you carry the cross. No choice. It was law. You had to do it. No matter what you were engaged in, no matter what you talk with your friends about, you had to drop it all and go with that soldier a mile. Well, it wasn't quite a mile. It was a thousand paces. And these people didn't like it. You wouldn't like it. Can you imagine if you're here in Vancouver and you're walking down the street and you're with your friends, you're going for, you're going for supper and you're all dressed up and the police officer, he's coming along, he's got a backpack on or he's carrying something and, he, and you're on your way and he says, hey, you come here. What? Carry my stuff. But, but I'm going for lunch. It doesn't matter. Come. And you're all dressed up. You'd have to drop everything you're doing, say goodbye to them, walk a mile, and then you have to walk a mile back. It'd be majorly inconvenient. Now, Jesus is speaking to them, and he says something very radical. By the way, Christianity is radical. This is radical. He says, don't just go with them one mile, go with them two miles. 
What in the world does that mean? Well, let's go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, we read that Jesus went up on the mountain. He sat down. That's the way they taught. He sat down, and he begins to teach them. Now, this parallels how Moses went up on the mountain. If you remember the story of Moses, he went up on the mountain, and God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. And then he came down from the mountain. Jesus is like a Moses. He gives us the law of grace. So he went up on the mountain, and the discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, is all about grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. We receive grace from the Lord. We don't deserve forgiveness of sins. We don't deserve what he's done for us, but he's extended to us. Now he asks asks us to walk in grace. So this Sermon on the Mount is a lot about grace. The Sermon on the Mount is a road map. If you're filling in the blanks, the word is road map that leads us to the blessings of God. I like to live under the blessings. I like to have the favor of God on my life. Why are some people, they just seem to, they live in the favor of God and the next person doesn't. What's the difference? Your road map for that is the Sermon on the Mount. Because it leads us out of a legalistic life. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says a number of times, you've heard it said. But then he goes on, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He was shifting from legalism to a spirit-led life. I say spirit-led because the Sermon on the Mount and what he talks about, it's impossible to do without the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can do your first mile under your own power, but that second mile, you need the Spirit of Jesus to do that. Somebody once said, Jesus didn't just come for us, didn't just give his life for us, he gave his life to us. He put his life in you. I wouldn't want anybody else's life in me. I wouldn't want to put my life into anybody else. I wouldn't want to put my spirit in somebody else. But Jesus puts his spirit into your spirit. Remember he prayed, he says, oh Lord, I pray that we would be one. Something happens in the spiritual realm when you say, I accept God what you did for me when you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sins and you sent his spirit to come be with us. When you, when you pray that, in your spirit, there's a, a reaction of, of a kind and your spirit and the Holy Spirit become galvanized, become one. And without that, you don't have the strength to walk the second mile. But with that, whoa, You can walk the second mile. The Sermon on the Mount is a job description for every devoted follower of Jesus. This is how we're supposed to live. I became a Christian. How am I supposed to live? Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's the job description. It's how we live. It's our roadmap. Mile one is law and obligation. That's our duty. That's what we have to do. But mile two is grace. It's receiving something you don't deserve. Steve Hickey, he's a pastor from South Dakota... He put it this way, really good. Jews are obligated by law to go the distance of one mile. Jesus was teaching here the blessing of heaven, now listen carefully, does not fall in mile one. The favor of heaven falls in mile two. Mile one is our obligation. Mile two is our opportunity. It's a good statement. The second mile is about serving the Lord because your love for him overflows. If you have an intimate relationship with Jesus, you do mile two. But if your Christianity is all about rules, legalism, do this, don't do that, you just do mile one. 
But Christianity isn't regulations. It's not rules. It's not even a religion. Really, it's a relationship with Christ. It's a relationship with our Father. And out of that relationship, we do it. It causes us to go the second mile. Mile one can be done in the flesh. Mile two is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Paul says, Christ in you. It's the Christ in you that gives you the strength to walk the second mile. The second mile represents the higher law. It represents the law of love. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Love never, never fails. Love seeks not its own. It's a great description of the law of love. You don't walk the second mile without it. The second mile is, takes you out of your comfort zone. It means you overcome evil with good. You treat people with kindness even when they don't deserve it. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our tendency is when somebody does us wrong, we get back with them, right? Isn't that the way we grew up in the, in the school playground? If somebody did you wrong, well, you, 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 do, you do it back to them. In business, that's the way we tend to do it. But Jesus was saying, I've got a better way. If you want to experience the miracles, if you want to experience my blessing, get into that second mile. That's what takes place. Second mile takes you out of your comfort zone. It's not difficult. I promise you. I promise you. If, if this doesn't happen to you this week, you get, you get, a, you get a free coffee at the, at the espresso bar. How's that? If this doesn't just... I better warn them that they, got, they may have some people next week. But if this doesn't happen to you, you can get a free coffee at the espresso bar. If you don't have an opportunity this week to walk the second mile, you can go get a, a free coffee at the espresso bar. Because you will. I know you'll have an opportunity. We all have opportunities. Because sometimes it's just the little things that we get to do the second mile. This fellow got on the plane. He'd been working hard. And he was so ready to fly home. He sat down. He got on the internet the night before, you know, 24 hours. As soon as that 24-hour clock hits, so you're right on the internet. He picked out his seat, a window seat, right where he wanted it, far from the washroom. And he's got his seat. So he gets on the plane. And he sits down. He's got his luggage over above him. And he's, ah, now I get to relax. And full blame. There's just a few empty seats. He happened to have one of the empty seats behind him, beside him. Ever been there on the plane and you have to have that empty seat behind, beside you and you just feel like you are so blessed. I got my window seat and a little extra space and I'm not even flying first class. It's really nice. So there he is. The stewardess comes along and says, excuse me, sir. There's a, a, a mother up there and she's separated from her child uh, actually, it's behind us near the washroom. Would you mind uh, giving up your seat so mom could sit with, the, with their child? And at that point, he says, no, 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 no way. I, I, I went online early. I got my seat. Uh, I, it is my right to sit here. And then he remembered the second mile. Ooh, this is the second mile. And he said, okay, sure, you can have my seat. And he moved back to the back of the plane Probably that seat that doesn't recline right by the washroom. You sat in it. I sat in it. That's where he had to sit. He went to the back. But he said it was a strange thing. I felt so good. It was a great flight. I don't know how to describe it, but I felt great. It's like, where did that come from? Because I should have felt worse. It's the second mile. The second mile is as simple as going into a washroom seeing some paper on the floor, seeing that the sink chrome has got all messed up and you grab an extra towel and you, you shine up the chrome when you leave. He said, no, that's not my job. I don't do that. That's a janitor's job. That's somebody else's job. I, I don't do that. 
If you walk the second mile, you do that. You walk into a place and there's dirt, you, you do something about it. Or if you, somebody asks you to do some chores around the house, you do those chores. Plus, you do some more chores. And every one of the services, it gets very quiet right at this point. I don't know why. It just gets very quiet. It's like, I don't think this is practical at all. I think you just move on. Jesus walked the second mile. As he's talking there in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, this is where the abundant life is. It's in that second mile. The first mile is duty, but the second mile is blessing. The second mile is opportunity. The first mile we, we do out of duty, but the second mile is based on faith. It's not based on feelings. You won't do it based on feelings. Matter of fact, you probably won't feel like doing the second mile. It's a choice. It's a, it's a decision that this is the truth, and I'm going to act upon the truth. Point number seven is just that, that the second mile is a choice. The second mile, you take control of your destiny. Because in the first mile, it's duty, it's obligation, it's what you're paid to do, it's, it's what's expected of you. The second mile is not expected. It's not duty, it's not obligation. But as a believer, we want to do it for our Lord. And it's in that place... That the blessings fall. You choose to travel a road where there's no traffic jams. The traffic jams are on mile one. Everybody's struggling to get ahead. They're doing their part and no more. But on the second mile, you can really set your destiny because few people choose to go there. But that's where the blessings are. And the first, uh, the second mile, you have to make a choice to set outside your schedule. Uh, you have to make a choice actually to do this while you're still in the first mile. Have you ever been to the gym and you get on a treadmill and you, you know, they've got all those buttons there and you, and you finally get through the, the thing and you say, okay, I'm going to run one mile. And the treadmill, and you, you know, you, it starts off kind of slow. You start walking, start walking, and then, and then pretty soon you're running and you got it set for one mile, right? And you go, you see the half mile mark, you see the three quarter mile mark, and you're starting to get tired and you go, oh, okay, how much is left? Okay, only got a little bit left, half a lap left. And, and already your mind's quitting when you get to the end of that mile. Your body's quitting at the end of that mile because you programmed it for one mile. But what if you program it for two miles? You get on the same thing, and at one mile, your mind's not stopping, your body's not stopping, because it knows it's got another mile to run. When we live our life, we should have the same attitude as Christ, that we live with an attitude, I run the second mile. I don't just run the first mile. At my job, I don't just, I'm not just a one-miler, I'm a two-miler. What does that mean? That means you're paid to show up at 8, but because you're a second-miler, you show up at 7.30. You don't quit at 4.30, you quit at 4.45. As an employer, you don't just do what the law requires of you, you do more than the law requires of you. As an employer, you do more than what's required of you. In your home, you say, I'm going, I come prepared to run more than just one mile. Who do you think gets the promotion? Who do you think gets hired to do more? Who do you think the customer wants to go back and see again? People that run the second mile. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice to believe, to act upon it. Thursday night, Dan, one of the guys here in the church, was sharing with us. He's, he is a paramedic, but he also works with us here as a pastor. And Dan was called to a home where a son tragically died. And he did his job as a paramedic, this child of 17 years old, and he goes to the hospital with him, and he's done his job, 
They're in the next room. There's a curtain separating them, and he's doing his paperwork in the other room, filling out the paperwork, doing his job. And he can't help but overhear them crying. They're grieving. And, they, and in their conversation, they said, where's a pastor? Where's somebody to pray for you when you need them? And they were just hurt. They're, they lost their son. They were just going through the emotion of this. Now, he'd done his job. He's finished. He's finished mile one. But he said, at that point, I just felt the Holy Spirit inside me. It's the Spirit that prompts us to go that second mile. And he got up, he went around, checked with the doctor, went and talked to him. And he said, you know what? I'm a paramedic, but I'm also a pastor. He said, I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. He said, at that moment, the blessings of God fell. They cried, I cried, and we had a time there with God. When did it happen? It happened in the second mile. He didn't have to do it. He could have just said, you know what? It's too bad there, nobody from the church is there, and I've done my job, and I hope they get over it and, and could have gone home. But he didn't do that. He went the second mile. Number eight, miracles happen on the second mile. So I'd like to see more miracles in my life. Well, they happen on the second mile. Jim Simbola, he's a great pastor in New York. And on an Easter service, he tells this story. He'd finished preaching, he'd done his job, and he's tired, and the counselors are praying here and there, and he sits down on the stage, just undoes his tie, relaxes, and he says, as I looked out, about three rows back, there was this guy, he was looking dirty, looked like a mess, and he looked up to me as if to say, could I talk to you? Let me read you the rest of his story, because he tells it better than I could. Ah. Oh. He looked up and said, could I talk to you? We have homeless people coming in all the time asking for money or whatever. So I sat there. I said to myself, well, I'm ashamed of it. What a way to end a Sunday. I've had such a good time preaching and ministering. And here a fellow probably wanting some money for more wine. He walked up. When he got within five feet of me, I smelled a horrible smell like I've never smelled in my life. It was so awful that when he got close, I would inhale by looking away. And then I'd talk to him. Then I'd look away to inhale. Because I couldn't inhale facing him. I asked him, what's your name? David. How long have you been on the street? Six years. How old are you? 32. He looked 50. His hair were matted, his teeth missing. He was a wino. His eyes were glazed. Where did you sleep last night, David? In an abandoned truck. I keep in my back pocket a money clip that holds several credit cards. I fumbled to pick one out thinking, I'll give him some money. I won't even get a volunteer. They're all busy talking with others. Usually we don't give money to people. We take them to get something to eat. I took the money out. David pushed his finger in front of me. He said, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus, the one you were talking about. Because I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die on the street. I completely forgot about David. I started to weep for myself. I was going to give a couple dollars to someone God had sent to me. See how easy it is? I could make the excuse I was tired. There is no excuse. He'd done his first mile. I was not seeing him the way God sees him. I was not feeling what God feels, but oh, did that change. David just stood there. He didn't know what was happening. I pleaded with God, God, forgive me, forgive me, please forgive me. I'm so sorry to represent you this way. I'm so sorry. Here I am with my message and my points, and you send somebody, and I'm not ready for it. Oh, God. Something came over me. Suddenly, I started to weep deeper. David began to weep. He fell against my chest as I was sitting there. He fell against my white shirt and tie, and I put my arms around him, and there we wept on each other. The smell of his person became a beautiful aroma. 
Here's what I thought the Lord made real to me. If you don't love this smell, how can I use you? Because this is why I called you where you are. This is what you are about. You're about the smell. Christ changed David's life. He started memorizing portions of scripture. We got him a place to live. We hired him to the church to do maintenance. We got his teeth fixed. He was a handsome man when he came out of the hospital. They detoxed him in six days. He spent Thanksgiving in my house. He spent Christmas in my house. When he exchanged presents, he gave a little gift to me. It was the best he could afford. It was a small hanky. A year later, David got up, talked about his conversion to Christ. The minute he took the microphone and began to speak, I said, that man's a preacher. This past Easter, we ordained David. He's an associate minister at a church in New Jersey. And I was so close to saying, here, take this. I'm a busy preacher. When did the miracle happen? Not in mile one. Not in his duty, not his obligation. The miracle took place when he left the comfort zone and he went into that second mile. Jesus said, if somebody has to go the second mile, go with them two miles. The second mile demonstrates we are God's children. If you're filling in the blanks, the word God's children. Matthew 5, 43 to 45, it's there in your notes. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Let's break this down. To love your neighbor is the first mile. Easy to love your neighbor. They invite you over a barbecue, right? They're the ones that help you out. Easy to love them. But to love your enemy, that's the second mile. To bless those who bless you is the first mile. They say, hey, how you doing? You're nice. Blessings. It's easy to bless them back. But the second mile is to bless those who curse you. To do good to those who do good to you, that's the first mile. But Jesus said to do good to those who hate you, that's the second mile. To pray for those who pray for you, that's the first mile. That's our duty. We should do that. But the second mile is to pray for those who spitefully use you. That's the second mile. When somebody's done you wrong, when somebody's talked behind your back, when somebody's hurt you, when somebody's sued you, when somebody's damaged you, they're difficult to pray for. And sometimes all you can pray is, Lord, bless them. And you have to go back and Lord, bless them. And in your prayers, you say, Lord, I forgive them. It's not just for them. It's for you. It's in that second mile that you're going to get your victory. Walking the second mile will bring you joy. So that doesn't make any sense. I'm tired. I've carried this guy's bags for a mile. Why would I be happy to go a second mile? But it's true. In the second mile, there's a level of joy you'll never experience in the first mile. I know it doesn't make sense, but it works. Well, actually, it does make sense. Researchers have studied it, and they find that people that do extraordinary, over and above acts of kindness have something that happens in their brain. Serotonin kicks in, and that good-feeling chemical is released in your body. When you go the extra mile and do these acts of kindness, you actually feel better about yourself. People that don't do it and say, I'm only going to do my obligation, I'm only going to do my duty, and I don't have to do any more... They actually have a lower immune system, and they're not as healthy. Joy kicks in supernaturally when we go the second mile. Paul said in Acts 20, verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. I'm going to finish happy. The second mile, it happens. Next, the second mile is a principle of excellence. 
can be summed up in three words, and then some. Second miles, and then some. I went to my work, did my job, and then some. I went home and did my work, and then some. I went to my home group and helped out, and then some. Very successful businessman. He did very well in his business. His family was healthy. He was an amazing example of success. And a leading magazine stopped him and said, what is it? What is your secret to success? He says, it's three words. Three words. If you take these three words, you'll have success. He said, well, what are they? He says, it's and then some. If you treat your customers well and then some, they'll come back. If you treat your employees right and then some, they'll want to work for you. If you treat your families lovingly, what you expected of you, and then some, they'll love you back. Simple. It's the second mile and then some. Or you could put it this way. It's better than it was. That's the second mile. I walked into the washroom and I left it better than it was. I went home and helped clean up with my mom and dad. And when I left the room, it was better than it was. I walked into my bedroom and I straightened things out and I left it better than it was. I walked into church, sat down in the pew, and when I left, it was better than it was. That means I picked up the extra paper, I put things away, I tidied the cards in front of me and I left and it was better than it was. I walked into a restaurant and I left it better than it was. Wherever I go, I leave it better than it was. That's going the second mile. But it's not my job. I don't have to do that. That's somebody else's job. They get hired. I pay them to do it. You know what? You need to build a bridge and get over that if you ever want to get to the second mile. Because as long as it's about you, you're never going to live in the second mile. And that's where the blessing is, in the second mile. Now, I know this won't go very good with your union, but Jesus is not talking to the union leaders here. He's talking to the church, okay? So you got to go the second mile. The second mile is not about being successful as much about being significant. The sense of value and worth comes in that second mile. Now, without his spirit, you'll never make it into the second mile. We do this by the Holy Spirit, not on our own where we walk it unless we have the Holy Spirit living within us. How does that happen? By invitation. Jesus came, died, rose again. He said, I will send my spirit. If you'll open up your heart, allow me to live within you. That spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives within us. By his power, we walk into the second mile. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.